Anyways, if you guys will open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20 with me, we'll get into the word. And Lord, we do pray that as you uh, take us through the word and through the book of Acts, you would give us uh, the missionary heart of God uh, to be bold witnesses and to help advance your kingdom from nation, two nations that have never heard of you. And then also, as we see these things in the book of Acts that show us what a local church looks like and some descriptions of things that were happening back then that uh, we would be able to learn from that and, and work uh, towards that here in our church to see the same beautiful health result in that. Uh, lead us by your spirit to be able to do so in a way where, where there's descriptions, Lord. May we have discernment on how to live out the descriptions. When there's prescriptions, Lord, that we would have the boldness and courage and power to walk in the things prescribed for our local church. And uh, for here and for Polina, Lord, we just pray that you would grow our church so that we can grow your kingdom. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, look there in verse 1 with me, Acts chapter 20. Says, uh, you'll, you'll have to have the context from last week's message from Pastor Chris. You can listen to it online, but Chris taught about an uproar that had happened in the city of Ephesus. The verse starts out with us. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So if you're already you're like, what uproar? Did I miss something? You totally missed something. Okay, you gotta, gotta listen. If you miss a Sunday, you've gotta get online or get on our YouTube, watch the video so that you're not totally out of context on the things that we're teaching here. But um, we do see that uh, Paul was leaving Ephesus. He's gonna be close to Ephesus by the end of our chapter, but he calls those Ephesian disciples to himself and he embraced them. We see that he had such a love for the disciples in the city that he had ministered to. And you know, that is something that is not just for the apostles. That's something for us too. Do you have a love for the disciples? Do you have a love for your fellow brothers and sisters? Uh, there's something about being plugged into a local church is you have to learn to love each other. You have to learn to choose love towards one another. And as you walk in the power of the spirit, you see the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.1, is what? It's love. And then out of love flows all those others, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all actually fruits of love. The fruit of the spirit is love. And how I love being around you and being in home groups and being at youth group and being here with you and just loving one another, caring for one another. And love doesn't always look like that warm embrace we see in this verse. Sometimes it's, you know what, you kind of offended me or you've wronged me or you've hurt me, but you know what? Even as God in Christ has forgiven me, I'm going to love you by forgiving you. I'm going to love you by being gracious to you. I'm going to love you by, you know what, I'm going the extra mile with you. Or you took that tunic of mine, I'm going to give you my other tunic too. I'm going to go out of my way to love you the way that Jesus has loved me. And you see that there's just this embrace that happened here. There's something special about being in a church and growing in our embraces. Something about Calvary Chapel, you guys, so many of us were huggers. Okay, I'm sorry if we've totally like freaked you out. But man, we just, ever since I was in high school, I've found this Christian love, this brotherly love that we've had. And there's something about seeing my brothers and my sisters that I just got to hug you. I just got to embrace you. I'll stop short with the holy kiss. Okay, I'll stop short. I won't go there. But you're going to get a hug from me or 
Caleb a really strong handshake. Can we, can we at least go with a good handshake? Yeah, Caleb, Caleb will hug you with his smile, okay? But don't go out, you know, I'm just teasing. Side hug, right, Caleb? Maybe a side hug, maybe a pyramid hug. Okay, all right. Um, but, you know, Romans 12 tells us that we're to be kindly affectionate to one another. Does that describe you as a Christian, that you are kindly affectionate? Caleb might not be a total all-out bear hugger, but you look at him and you see kind affection, towards you. Are you kindly affectionate? Or when people see you at church, they're like, I don't know if there's something living in that person or if they hate me or what, you know, let the Holy Spirit work kind affection in you. Goes on to say with brotherly love, we would have that kind of affection. And this is not one singled out verse. Many verses in the new Testament speak towards the love that it's got to be a fruit out of your life towards Christians or else it's questionable if you have the love of Jesus in you even. And so even today, Lord, just help me to love more. I just was at New Horizon uh, Christian Fellowship in Klamath Falls last week. That's where my in-laws go to church and it's Calvary Chapel and Mike Voigt's a good friend of mine, the pastor there. And he's, you know, in his seventies and he was just talking about how the Lord has just been showing him that he needs to love others. He needs to grow in love for others. And that's just something we think, oh, we've got that down. Like just you know, don't even need to think about it. It's like the Lord's been convicting me this week. Like you're not loving others. And so, um, man, Lord work that in us to be kindly affectionate to one another. And you just see this, it's, it's drawing a lot out of this simple little phrase that they, he embraced them. You think that that's strong. I'm not going to get there today, but at the end of the chapter, when the Ephesian elders are saying goodbye to Paul, you know what they did when they were saying goodbye to Paul, they fell on him and kissed his neck right? So I'm going to let this sink in for this week. And next week we're going to go to the, you know, that type of just deep, Caleb, you might want to miss next week. You know, it's like, just joking. Um, and so, uh, there was this embracing and then he went on to Europe again. And so he's on his third missionary journey, leaving Ephesus, going over to Macedonia. It's going to be very quick today. We're not even going to get into much of it. Um, lots of, um, drama happened, but it, but this third missionary journey, it's just, in fact, can we throw the map up real quick? Um, this third missionary journey, uh, it's very quickly written. Uh, a lot happens in just a matter of a couple verses. Uh, but there on, um, in the big pink section called Asia, kind of bottom left, you see Ephesus. Um, and it's from there that he takes off today. He's going to go on up. Uh, Troas, he's going to hit up Macedonia on the top left there, go through all these places, whip up and around, and then he's going to hop a ship and head on back down past Ephesus again. All this happens in chapter 20 in just a matter of a few different verses. And so um, lots of letters in the New Testament were written in these times and messages that he'd received that he would respond to with New Testament messages like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, things like that. Um, but Acts doesn't go all that much into that. And so in our text today, Acts 20 verse 2 says, Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. So that quick, we've already had him leave Ephesus, hit up Macedonia, whip through that area. Now he's down south of there going through Greece and he's encouraging, he's, or he's encouraged them with many words as he comes uh, to Greece. And then verse three says, he stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted to kill him, 
uh, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so perhaps he heard that on the ship, some Jews were going to jump him and kill him, maybe throw him overboard. So he said, okay, I'm not going to get into a confined place with some people that are plotting to kill me on this ship. I'm going to go back up through Macedonia. I'm going to head back around uh, that direction. And so verse four tells us that Sopatar of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Sopatar, so so, so, so many times, Sopatar, so many times, um, we're reading through the Bible and we see these names of cities and towns and they're foreign to us. It's like I'm reading Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or some fictional fairy tale book. But these are real places that I have a map to show you where they are. And then we have these names that also sound like elvish names, you know, or something. And it just, it causes us to check out when we're reading it in Primeville. But these are real people that were friends of Paul's. They're just from another nation. Sopatar uh, is probably the same guy as Sosapatar, who was a relative of Paul mentioned in Romans 16. Then we have Aristarchus and Segundus of Thessalonica. So Aristarchus was the one we saw in Acts chapter 19 who was seized during that big riot in Ephesus. He would be Paul's traveling companion through the book of Acts and a fellow prisoner for the cause of Christ. We read of Segundus of Thessalonica. And uh, when you were a slave back in the day, oftentimes you were given a name of your rank of slavery within uh, you know, a household. And so Primus would have been the primary slave, the first ranking slave. Here was Segundus. And, uh, and so he would have been like the second ranked slave at wherever he was from. And that was what his name was. And, uh, and you see him accompanying Paul as far as Asia in our chapter. Then we have Gaius of Derby, perhaps John chapter, um, rather third John was perhaps written to Gaius. It was a very common name. Uh, Paul says, I think God, I baptize not many of you except for Gaius. Oh yeah, I baptized Gaius. And um, so Gaius, we have Timothy, we know him well. Another guy that uh, went with Paul on this trip was Tychicus of Asia. I can't help but just think of, you know, an auntie pinching her little nephew's Chicus, you know, and maybe his name was Tychicus. You know, she's like, a little cute Tychicus. Probably didn't happen, but we know our aunts, right? Probably did. Uh, but Ephesians 6 tells us that Tychicus was a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. Later on, he would join Paul in Rome. He's mentioned as laboring up with Paul uh, to the time of his second imprisonment. You read about him in Ephesians and Colossians and 2 Timothy. We have Trophimus, uh, who was a Gentile whose home was in Ephesus. He went with Paul to Jerusalem, and Trophimus would become the cause of Paul's arrest later on in Jerusalem. Remember when Paul's found in the temple court, and they said that he took Trophimus in with him, a non-Jew. And so uh, just real guys, real servants, real ministers that went with the real Paul the Apostle. And you know what? I think in the Chronicles of Heaven, there's going to be, you know, the Bills and the Allens and the Andes, you know. All of you guys, like, oh, they went out to, you know, uh, Dave, you know, and, and Brad, you know, they went out to Polina that day and ministered to the church in Polina with their electrical skills and just all these, you know, I think the Chronicles of Heaven, there's just going to be these great mentionings of the servants of the Lord serving the Lord. So moving on in our text, verses 5 and 6. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi 
after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days join them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So I know what you're thinking. So much riveting information right now on the captain's log of Paul's journey, you know. Uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time there, except that Paul was celebrating some of these feasts, you know, but there's the wonderful thing about the feasts are that they point to Jesus. And so there was this uh, celebrating of the Christian Passover and probably even Easter with the church in Philippi that we read there. And then as we move on to verse 7, we have this crazy story of something that happened in Troas. And maybe can we pop the map back up there real quick, Jacob? He's like, ay, 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 I didn't have my coffee today for all of this, right? So uh, if you're following the map, hey, guess what I have, Perry? See what I got? Yeah, it's called a laser pointer, okay? So, but if you remember a couple weeks ago, Perry was trying to stay stable. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not going to be much better, bud. All right, so here's Ephesus. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Ephesus, okay. It also turns into a little arrow sometimes, okay. Uh, Ephesus, he heads on up to Troas. That's a great harbor. That's where he first had his vision of the Macedonian man. So he would take off again, hit up Macedonia, minister, speak many encouraging words in the orange of Macedonia there. Head on down to, uh, my arrow's a little slower than I... um, just kidding. Uh, and then uh, heads on down to Achaia, or the region of Greece there. He, uh, hears about the threat against his life. So instead of boarding a ship, he goes back up through Macedonia and hits back up uh, Troas. And so the next little exciting story that we're going to read is about the church in Troas. And what's amazing is, you know, when you read of Paul going to Troas, and the, this is in chapter 16, uh, the Holy Spirit forbids them from going up into Bithynia and, and going into Galatia and going into Southern Asia. Like the Lord wasn't in that at this point in the missionary journey. And so they're stuck at Troas up against the ocean. And they're like, so where are we supposed to go? And Paul has this vision in the night of a Macedonia man saying, come over here and help us. And so he wakes up and they all concluded the Lord wanted them to go help, uh, wanted the missionaries to go to Macedonia to help them know Jesus, to help them know the way of salvation. And so they all took off and went on that ship over to Macedonia. And that's all we know of in Acts chapter 16. But apparently there was ministry that had been happening in all their going through Troas so that there's a church established that we're going to read about today. And so sometimes you're like, oh, whatever happened in Troas? And it's like, well, we read here in chapter 20 that there was, there was a fellowship established there. Very exciting thing. Isn't it neat? Look around you guys. We're a part of this legacy right now. We're a part of somebody came across the pond and across from England or whatever and came and landed in a new world, you know, and then went across the world and we're ministering to people and here they are. And there's an establishment of a church here. We can look around. We're a part of this today as we get into verse seven. And because all of what's going to unfold took place in the context of a worship service, the story instructs us in the life of the early church. And some of it's descriptive and we can't follow at all in this day and age, but some of it's prescriptive and it's something we ought to follow after for a, to be a healthy church. So verse seven, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message 
until midnight. So pray for me, you guys, because there's this example of Paul preaching until midnight. You know I'm tempted. You know Chris was tempted last week. I've heard stories. Uh, no, just kidding. All right. So we see that it was the first day of the week. What day of the week did the early church gather together in Troas to fellowship and break bread and worship the Lord? What was it? The first day of the week. It's a reference to Sundays. This is one of the clearest references in the New Testament to the day of the week that the early church met for concentrated fellowship, breaking of bread, uh, teaching of the word, worship, and generous giving. Okay, so ever since the resurrection of Jesus, this was the precedent of the early church, was that the Lord's Day was valued. It was Sunday, the first day of the week, a day that we would continually throughout the year celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now granted, Monday is a wonderful day to worship Jesus. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, I got other things to do. It's Friday, right? You got to get down on Friday. But Saturday, no, I'm teasing, all right? Every day of the week is a wonderful uh, time to worship Jesus. But there's something about those concentrated, extra, set apart, undistracted, worshiping the Lord, discussing the Lord, reading the word, praying just as much as we can throughout the day, not out of legalism, but because there's a blessing there. There's a blessing to us as we set that day apart. Uh, and so uh, it was F.F. Bruce, the good historian, everyone's quoting F.F. Bruce in all the books I'm reading, who said the reference to the meeting for the breaking of bread, quote, on the first day of the week is the earliest text we have from which it may be inferred reasonable certainty that Christians regularly came together for worship on that day. And, you know, that was something that was valued throughout the church in church history up until about 75 years ago. Can you believe it? A couple thousand years ago by where Christians held Sunday in reverence. It was a day for worshiping the Lord. In 70 years, something happened. What could it have been where we just lost a value for the Lord's day? Sunday night football. I think that's what it was. No, I know who knows what it was. You know, the invention of the invention of the ski boat, you know, or the good running shoe. I don't know what it was, but history tells us that Sunday was a day for not so much recreational activities, but worshiping the Lord and fellowshipping together. Uh, I recently was recommended the book uh, Rutherford's Letters. Try saying that five times. Rutherford's Letters. Okay, uh, Samuel Rutherford, who was a pastor in Scotland. Uh, hundreds of years ago, and uh, just, and I love these old Scottish, you know, pastors and missionaries, and I can just imagine them talking in their brogue or whatever it is what they have, but uh, one day it was a Sunday, and Rutherford went to the church, and uh, and he noticed that nobody was there, but he could hear from a farmer's flat spot up on a hill the sounds of cheering and chanting going on. And so he stormed up there. And let me read a little bit from Samuel Rutherford's letters. Okay. Um, I think there's a picture of a field there. Let's go ahead and this is, this is the spot, you guys. Okay. I know you're excited. I can tell. But you're like, this is almost as exciting as the story of the ship trips. You know, um, it is related that on first coming to the parish, there was a piece of ground on Moss Robin Farm and the hollow of a hill where on Sabbath afternoon, the people used to play at football. On one occasion, he repaired to that spot and pointed out their sin. 
solemnly calling on the objects around to be witnesses against them, especially three large stones. Let's show the stones now. Close at hand on the slope of the hill, two of which still remain and are called Rutherford's Witnesses. And so here's this great preacher, you know, and he hears people, they're not at church, where are they at? He goes up, they're playing football Americana up there, right? They're kicking this ball around with their feet. And he's like, whatever happened to like our day of worship and remembering the resurrection and preaching the word and taking the sacraments, you know, like, what are we doing here, people? You can come back later and do this. But, and, and you know, true prophet fashion, he's like, you see these rocks? They're all going to be here witnesses to your demise, you know. And to this day, there, there were there were three rocks back then. There's two rocks still at this spot. And they haven't said much lately, but, uh, oh, they will. They will, you know. And so all of this, not to stir up some sort of, sort of legalistic trip. You know, nobody likes that, and it doesn't do any good. And sometimes it imposes some form of self-righteousness or religion upon us. It's not that at all. It's that, man, there was something so passionately stirring in the early church that was so excited that Jesus wasn't dead, he was alive, that it changed an entire culture that met on Saturdays for thousands of years as a day of rest and witness to God's creation and deliverance from sin and deliverance of Egypt, that it shifted to Sunday. And and for thousands of years, there was a joyful setting apart of a day in worship and remembrance to the Lord. And so we see that continuing on in the book of Acts in chapter 20, uh, as they spent time, uh, what does it say there in our text? Uh, they broke bread. Now, this was part of what the early church did. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is one of the key verses of the book of Acts where it describes what the early church gave themselves to. It says they gave themselves continually to the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread and fellowship and prayer. Okay, and that's something that we try to do as much as we can throughout the week. We give ourselves continually to the word and to fellowshipping together and sharing with one another our lives and eating together. It's an interesting thing, this breaking of bread, because back then the communion used to take place in what were called love feasts, uh, which was nothing probably more than our good old fashioned church potluck. Who doesn't love a good church potluck? Tater tot casserole. Mm. Gets me every time, right? Uh, so they would have these feasts. A lot of the early church were slaves. You had your segunduses within the church. And this was their one good meal they were going to get during the week. So they would all come to the church. They would have the word taught. They would feast together. And part of that feast was that they would take bread and the wine. And they would take that in communion and remember the death of the Lord for our sins. And so that's something that was happening here. There was a meal. There was communion. It was part of the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. And, uh, and it says that Paul, I mean, you can't even imagine it except for when Chris preaches, 
continued his message until midnight. I'm just joking. We all know I'm the long-winded one. Chris just had a little fun last week, that's all. Um, And uh, he continued his message until midnight. Now, it's not like he started at the 8.30 a.m. service and went till midnight. Uh, Probably the message started in the evening. In the evening time, and then that first service went till midnight. And then we're going to see later on there was a second service that went till the dawn of the morning. So just, you're getting off easy today. I just want you to know, you're going to make the NASCAR you know, race. Don't worry. I know you're excited about that, Hillary. Um, verse eight. And so as there's this message going on, uh, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathering together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and is taken up dead. I don't know how many of you are uh, fans of Jeff Foxworthy, you know, from the 1990s, you know, but he had these things that he did called redneck words. Let me give you a few of them. One of them was mayonnaise, right? Mayonnaise, a lot of people in here this morning. Okay. Get my drift. Okay. Poppy seed. If poppy seed, you spit your gum on the ground, he'd tan your hide. Okay. Aorta, this is for you, John Runk. Aorta cut that grass down by the bald field so him kids don't get hurt, okay? And then the book of Acts gives us one of these redneck words right here in a guy named Eutychus. As in, Eutychus too, if you would have fallen out of the third story window, right? Okay. All right, now, Eutychus made three errors, okay? Poor Eutychus. The name, right? Uh, you know, his mom, he's a little baby, Eutychus, right? I mean, it's like, what are they thinking? All right. So now Eutychus, the, the two words that describe him in this text are two words speaking of a young man that can speak of him may, maybe being from eight to nine years old. So I just think of my little Titus, who's eight years old. He's so sweet and tender and precious. He's like the Lord Jesus, tender and mild. You know, that's my little Titus, right? And I uh, can't imagine Titus, third floor window, boy, get away from that window, you know, um, or it could be anywhere from up into the 14 year old. The other word speaks of kind of a lad at the 14 year old stage. Now, three errors that this young lad made was error number one, sitting in the windowsill. Never a good idea, right? Uh, probably was trying to get some fresh air. A lot of these oil lamps were burning and, and it was causing, um, you know, the air to get Someone wrote oily and stuffy, right? No one likes oily, stuffy air. It's just not good. Uh, Perry Cross taught this to the youth group a couple weeks ago, and it was the best to the middle schoolers uh, because he brought in candles with plates, and he had us all sit there, and he lit our candles, and he's like, we turned the light off, and we're like, oh, this is what it was like. You could see how sleepy that you'd get, you know? And uh, it was just a, a special little illustration showing, uh, you know, what they might have had back then. We don't really know that too much anymore, the whole candle lit thing. Uh, so he was sitting on the windowsill. Error number two, he was sitting in the windowsill while he was sleepy. Okay, also not a good idea. And error number three, he was sitting in the windowsill while sleepy and a Bible study is going on. Like when the Bible study is going on, it's not going to get much better in the next 10 to 15 minutes, right? Go ahead and reposition yourself, open a window, stay away from the ledge, okay? Uh, and so it says here that he was overtaken by sleep or that sleep had 
overtaken. And not even the exciting words of the preacher, the apostle Paul, could keep him awake. He was just over, and you've all been there. When I was in high school, I used to work on a farm, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd hay all night, and then I'd come to lead worship at the church service in the morning, and after having been up all night driving tractor, I'd sit there and listen to my pastor, and I was just like, oh my gosh, please let the rapture happen, Lord, please let the rapture, just like, you know, and I remember being like, I wonder if you put toothpicks in your eyes of your toothpicks would shoot through your eyelid, you know, this high schooler thinking about holding, that would hurt, you know, it's like, then I'd get up and lead the last worship song, but, uh, so he, he's just totally getting droopy and drowsy, like you guys right now, I can tell, uh, and it says that, uh, as the air was stuffy and oily there, he sank into this deep sleep. He was overcome by the sleep, middle of verse 9 there. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. What a horrific scene. Um, I have had people fall asleep during my services. It's a weekly thing almost, you know. Um, and sometimes people snore, and that's really fun. One time I was teaching a New Year's sermon uh, in the, in the uh, church at Corvallis, New Year's Eve sermon, and all of a sudden everybody gets up and starts running in the middle of my sermon. And I'm like, what did I say? You know, Eutychus, you know, or something like that. And, uh, and I look over, and this sweet little lady in her 90s, Fern McKay, had been getting up to go to the restroom, and she fainted and landed on the gym floor that we had met in. And so everybody just rushed to her aid. And, um, and I was like, hey, I'm preaching here. You know, um, no, we had to stop the service and just pray for her and call the ambulance. And, and it was, you could imagine what that was like. So you can imagine Paul's preaching and he's right at the climax of his message. He's about to give an altar call and get the piano music playing. And as he's preaching, you just hear a faint thud from outside, you know, and everybody runs out. And Luke, the physician, says that he's taken up dead. You know, maybe he was dead, or maybe everyone thought that he was dead. And rightly so. I mean, third floor. I mean, look at the little stained glass window up there, you guys. That's, I mean, maybe that's third floor height. That, that would not, that's no bueno, okay? And, uh, and so Paul, it says, went down in verse 10, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourself for his life is in him. So uh, I know Sarah's a first responder, or at least the first responder. Sometimes she's the first one. That, no, she's a first responder. Uh, we got some firemen. We got some people that are, you know, you're, you've at least passed your CPR course, you know. Let me just submit to you in a time of emergency, just fall on the person that's hurt. Okay, just hear me out. Just lay on them, you know. And this is reminiscent of the Kings, the Chronicles of the Kings, where the prophets, both Elijah and Elisha, remember? So Elisha had seen it done before by his mentor. This is something that ought to continue. Then Paul does it and they would fall on the people. And then even mouth, to, it was a mouth to mouth thing. And they're just like, okay. And I'm just saying, throwing it out there. Maybe there's something coming to the paramedic community that's biblical. No, don't do that. It, you'd probably get turned in, right? Uh, so, but he does, he's, he does this, sometimes prophets are a little odd, you know. He goes and he falls on top of this kid and embraces him. And he says, don't trouble yourself. Maybe he felt heartbeat to heartbeat, you know, or heard the breath. He says, don't worry, his life is in him, okay. And, uh, and when he'd come up, verse 11, 
had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So that was kind of like the intermission. Like, okay, one guy almost died already. It's probably time to have a little intermission. Let's eat that love feast. And then we're going to get back after it. And we're going to uh, have that Bible study again. And they were all very encouraged. Verse 12 tells us that they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. And in case Bible talk confuses you sometimes, not a little comforted means very much comforted, right? They're very comforted that Eutychus, this precious little nine or 14 year old lad uh, was alive. The Lord had done this miracle. Now there are some principles of Christian worship here that we would be wise to glean from and to be careful in not making a prescription where it's only a description, but where it is prescribed for us that we would follow after that with great vigor and intensity. And as the early church, Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly or they gave themselves assiduously to the apostles' doctrine. And we're wrapping up with this. First, out of three things, the disciples met on the Lord's day for the Lord's supper. That was the regular practice of the church, right? And so uh, it was the Lord's day for the, the Lord's supper. They took communion. They participated in the sacraments on Sunday. It was a special sacramental Sunday. Next time one of your friends goes out living for the world on a Sunday and posts Sunday fun day, you can write back Sunday sacramental day or something, you know, something witty like that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Second, in addition to the sacraments in the room, there was a sermon. Indeed, it was a very long sermon. I think it's a good thing for Christians to develop the disciplined practice of being able to sit and listen to the word of God being washed over them, to be equipped for the work of the ministry, to have that word of God that Paul tells Timothy to preach it. He says, because it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And so it's something that, you know, I want to encourage you guys. I do remember my first times at a Calvary Chapel, you know, where I was a middle school kid and I was used to games, short sermons and wacky worship, you know, and, uh, and there was something so good for my spiritual walk when I was able to sit under the word and let that word became, become like my bread in feeding me and, uh, in correcting me and equipping me for the work of a Christian. And then, uh, the third thing, and I like what John Stott says that as there was a combination of the word and the sacrament. John Stott says, for God speaks to his people through his word, both as it is read and expounded from scripture and as it is dramatized in the two gospel sacraments, baptism and the Lord's supper. So I just love how he worded that. The great, there he is, another Scott. John Stott, the Scott, right? former Scottish pastor. Again, I just like how he says that it's, uh, the scripture is dramatized in the two gospel sacraments, baptism and the Lord's supper. It's dramatized because those sacraments are pictures of what God has done for us in the gospel. And then he goes on to say, uh, well, Augustine is quoted by Stott where Augustine says that communion is a visible word. It's a visible word. 
And then Stock goes on to say, what builds up the church more than anything else is the ministry of God's word as it comes to us through scripture and sacrament. That is the right coupling, audibly and visibly, in declaration and drama. And that's what the sacraments are. When you took communion today, did you not hold that bread in your hand? I don't know if you like our bread or not. I think it's very special. It's an old friend's recipe from her Mennonite community. It's a special homemade bread. It's a little sweet. It's a little tasty. It's a little cookie for you in the middle of the church service, right? And it's something that you can ponder the cross with. As you crunch it in your mouth, you remember Jesus being crunched on the cross, right? The wrath of God being poured out upon him. Not a bone was broken, but he was bruised and beaten there as he was nailed to the cross. And then we take the cup and we drink it. And it reminds us of what? The blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so does that picture in communion not do what was said here? Audibly and visibly, visibly bring about the word. What about baptism? That sacrament of baptism is a visible picture of the sinner dying through faith being crucified with Jesus and being resurrected from the dead. As Paul says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm buried. The old Rory's dead. Nevertheless, I live that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too now I live. Only now the life that I live, it's not for myself, it's not for Rory. It's for the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me. You get a lot of audible hearing. But it's in the times of communion and baptism that you have the visible hearing as well. We're going to have the worship team come on up. That was just a little instruction for us from a, a short little passage regarding the church in Troas. You guys put your things aside and will you stand with me this morning? Lord, we just uh, pray that as your word has gone forth, that it will do its good work in us. Lord, that there would not be a hint of uh, legalism or condemnation or some sort of ritualism that suffocates, some sort of a law given that we need to be here on Sunday or we're not saved. Lord, we know we're saved by grace through faith. But it's through those times of the work on Sunday, the word on Sunday, the sacramental time on Sunday that where we can live out the life of a Christian. We can have that sanctification be taking place. We can grow and get away from the distractions. And Lord, I pray over our church body that you would Just restore unto us a care for the body of Christ, the gathering of those who've been redeemed. That we would know our place in it, that we would know our gifts, that we can not just come and attend and warm a pew, but Lord, that we could be active and using our gifts and edifying each other and ministering as we come. That we would come with great consideration toward one another care for one another prayer for one another 
reaching out to one another, encouraging one another, serving in a various capacity here where there are so many needs here. We would give generously on these days. Worship freely on these days. I think of history was that in the 1800s, the greatest reasons for church disciplines being carried out were the pursuit of those who'd been neglecting the Lord's day. And that's not the case anymore. Lord, I pray that you would just chasten us, that you would just discipline us, that you would correct us where Sunday's a drag, Sunday's a burden. Lord, that you would wake us up out of a slumber and out of a sleep. Cause us to be alive to you. We thank you for the visible gospel today as we have heard the audible gospel. That Jesus Christ has come and laid his life down. His body received the Roman blows. His hands received the nails. His feet received the nail. And his blood poured forth freely so that we who have sinned might be pardoned, might be forgiven, acquitted, and given the hope of heaven. Let that bring so much joy to us today as we close in worship. Let's close with this song. Amen, you guys. Lord bless you and uh, hope you'll stick around for some more fellowship with us. About another 20 minutes or so here in the fireside room. We'll have donuts and coffee and just a chance to fellowship, get to know one another. And as you do that, be considerate. The book of Hebrews says, consider one another and think about each other. How can I go pray for this person? What's going on in your life? Here's what's going on in my life. I'm going to volunteer this up to you. Will you be praying for me this week? Uh, Let's have real fellowship. It's more than about the donuts, although they're a huge part. I think we can all agree. Lord bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.